Hey everybody, welcome back to the Mission 300 podcast. We're continuing our series here on identity, name, and your inheritance, and really excited for the discussion we got lined up today. Um, one thing that has really stood out that I you were sharing with me about that word calling, and I think it really ties in, so I thought if you could kick us off uh, with dealing with name and that word calling. Yeah, it was something that just really popped into my head when you were talking about receiving this name. And we see in the New Testament, especially a lot of calling on the name of the Lord. We see it in Acts 22, when Paul is talking about his conversion experience, his Damascus road experience. And Ananias comes to him and says, don't delay, get up, be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And I looked into what that means to call on the name of the Lord. In the Greek, it doesn't mean to just shout something out or speak a name into the air or to kind of stamp the in Jesus name onto the end of a prayer. The definition in the Greek, it means to accept a surname that's being put on you, to permit yourself to be named after someone. And I thought that was a really big difference in the way I looked at what it means to call on his name, because now it's not, dear God, please help with this in Jesus name, amen. To call on his name means that you accept this identity and actually take on his last name, if you will. Your surname is the last name. So you take on the last name of God, the family name of Jesus Christ that's been given to you. And so when we're looking at our identity, our position, being given that name, for me, that brought a completely new, fresh perspective in. No, I think that's great because it. Um, one thing that really stood out as you were sharing that with me earlier was when we talk about calling on that name, first of all, it's for salvation. In other words, I'm invited into the family, so I take my position within the family. Because he doesn't invite you in as a servant, he invites you in as a child. He invites you in in, in a sonship mm -hmm. position to, to rule and reign with him. But it also means going forward in things that we face, that we we do things in the name of Jesus. So it's it's not so much, like you said, just okay, we're going to pray in the name of Jesus. No, it's walking in the position when you pray in that name. So now you are the representative of Jesus and his namesake in whatever you're dealing with. And I think that is really powerful. It really is. And it, it also puts into perspective when you have to leave your old name behind. Like you talked about Bailey and having to leave his old life behind and the prodigal son having to leave the life that he was living out in the world behind to go back to his father. And we see a lot in scripture that we're, you know, we see we're the bride of Christ and we get that quite a bit. And for some of us, it's a little bit too, you know, a bit too romantic to really sink in, but you can also look at it as the son carries the last name of their father. All of my kids have the same last name. They are in my name. And so in that same way, when we accept this identity, we're brought into that name of Christ. And it's the, the same thing he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 6, where he says that you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. And so all of the, the washing, the justification, the sanctification, that was done in or with or on or through the name of Jesus Christ. So it's not something that a, we did on our own, but it's it's also meant to show us your position in, in what kingdom, in whose kingdom, in whose family now, and in the Spirit of God, which is kind of a big deal. 
It is. In fact, in uh, Psalms 106, it says that he delivered them for his namesake. So they're going into, uh, they were leaving Egypt, going through into the Red Sea, and they were trapped there. And he says he saved them for his namesake, that he might make his mighty power known. In other words, he values his name and he values who he is. So his name represents him. So if you're under that name, you're under that whole influence that that creates. You know, there's another part in uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 20. The disciples just came back from uh, these all these great miracles and um that had the authority, they were casting out devils, they were healing the sick, they were doing all these great things. And they came back and Jesus said to them in verse 19, you know, I've given you the authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. So ponder that, I've given you the authority to do all these great things. Nevertheless, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So Mm -hmm. this is really cool. So it wasn't that, hey, those aren't important, just make just know that you're going to go to heaven someday. That's not what he was saying. Rejoice in rejoice in who you are and the position you are in and the relationship you have in the heavenly realms. That is what you rejoice in. The byproduct of that is you have this authority on the earth. Don't rejoice in the authority because then you're going to look at your accomplishments, the thing that you're doing, and look how great I am. I'm more spiritual than you because I cast out two devils. You only did three. I laid hands on this person. And all of a sudden, we get in this spiritual competitiveness of who has what. And then you finally will create a belief that God doesn't do anything anymore, and that frees you from ever having to walk in his name. But if we rejoice in who we are and that namesake that we carry... This is the byproduct, and now there's no more competition because you are secure in that name. And that is the biggest piece about the name is once you have it, your heart comes to rest, you are at peace. Now you do things as a byproduct, but your value isn't in what you accomplish. That is just the outflow of what you are. Yeah, which kind of it brings up another question in my mind because the more we talk about this, the more we look at this, and the more we see, I guess, the magnitude of what it means to carry his name and carry that position, to be honest, at times it can bring some kind of hesitation, I guess. Like, if we're carrying that name, what happens when I inevitably do something that's really bad? You know, what happens if I do something that wrecks the family name? I mean, we see that in our natural world all the time. Some celebrity has something that happens, or they do, and now their whole family's dealing with that shame. Or, or at least them individually are dealing with that shame. So I guess what if we do something that brings shame to his name? Forgive the rhyme. This is a big dynamic that uh, I think all of Christianity has, has wrestled with. So we have the Old Testament view of this is the measurement that you need to measure to. Get up to that measurement. And guess what the Old Testament proved? Nobody could measure enough. It was only those that relied on his mercy that ever did anything. Then we have the New Testament view. Jesus came and paid for all of your sins. And I'm getting back to the point, what if we do something? So Jesus paid for all of your sins. Everything was nailed to the cross. Everything that was against Mm -hmm. you, every act, everything that you would do in the future, present, and past was nailed to the cross. Your old man was crucified. So that old nature now is dead. He killed it. Complete done, finished. So if Jesus was the greatest sacrifice 
And his whole role was to nail sin to the cross and defeat it once and for all. Either when people sin now, Jesus wasn't good enough, or we have to start looking at this a little bit differently. So in the New Testament, we now have been made to be the righteousness of God. We've been made to be holy, sanctified, set apart. We've been made to carry the spirit of God. We've been made to be his righteousness. We've been declared sons and heirs. The moment you're born again, everything from the past has been washed clean. The issue is we have this mental remembrance of what we once were. So the moment we digress into being less than what we really are as sons and daughters of God, we end up seeing ourselves inferior. Then we start doing self-protection and self-preservation and fear comes in and anxiety and inferiority and insecurity. And pretty soon we start put, pulling things around us to bring some comfort to that. And the next thing you know, we digress, but it's not, it's not that God hasn't already taken care of that old nature. He's calling us up. So then he speaks to us and says, don't you know who you are? Don't you know you're the, you're the son and daughter of God? Don't you know what I think about you? Don't you know that? And so he draws you back up to correct it. So what happens if you do something that absolutely brings shame and uh, causes people not to respect you anymore? That deals with who we now will influence in the future. And there is a truth to that, but it has nothing to do with the core of the relationship. Even in that can be restored that he will put a new people to influence. It will affect your perception of your relationship with God, but it's not going to affect his view of you because sin has been taken care of. Now he's bringing you to a renewal. And this is, boy, this, this really, we could, we could probably spend hours on this whole entire topic of going back and forth. I think the, the main point that we need to walk away with and build off of versus trying to find all the examples of why it doesn't work, or find all the examples of where we know we need to go back to the law, or finding all the examples where, see, grace just makes you do whatever you want to do. I think rather than going down that journey, we need to stick to one true statement. When Jesus came and said, I've paid the price for you, I've adopted you and brought you into my family, I trust that if your heart and you believe that and you're standing in position with him, he will work in your heart and bring you to the place that you were called to be, the, the, the place of influence that you were designed to be. And I'm going to stay right there and we'll deal with the ramifications in future podcasts and all of that stuff. That's pretty, that's pretty good. I mean, it, in my own personal experience, at least I can and tell that the times where I've focused on trying to get my behavior modification to a good level doesn't really end up so well. But when I'm focusing on my identity, what's been given to me, and included in that, the responsibility I have, that's when I see the best results. That's when that's when things go well for me, I guess you could say. That's when I'm really walking in my identity, and I'm not worried about what happens if I slip up or mess up because that's not really the point anymore. The point isn't to avoid doing the wrong things. The point is to walk in that identity, and then you see the results of that. Which brings me to thinking about that story of the prodigal son and the two brothers, because a lot of times we'll look at that story and say, oh man, wouldn't it have been great if the son didn't go out and squander his inheritance? Okay, yeah, great, it would have been. But the point is, it did happen. The point of the story is not to focus on the son who squandered his inheritance. Like you had mentioned the, before, 
the entire parable starts about the father. It's about the father and his response to his children. So it's interesting in that story, like you brought up, the whole thing is about the father. The we, It's easy to start looking at, okay, this son did this, this son did this, and our human nature, our old fallen nature, again, measures us to other people. So we're always measuring who sin more, who's better, who's worse. But the story's about the father and his response to both sons. And I think it's interesting if you were to take the worst character you can imagine. Just think of a horrible character. So I can think of one that was almost like a dictator that had this great power that was uh, taking people um, of a belief system and murdering them and persecuting them and destroying their lives because of what they believed and the, the hatred. And to have that individual even say it, he was eager to go murder and persecute. And that was the Apostle Paul and that was written in the book of Acts. And so here's the, the Apostle Paul with that spirit behind him, that hatred, that, that animosity. Um, but he believed he was right. He absolutely believed he was right. So he was going to destroy something that was coming against what he deemed as valuable. Right? So you go and you see him. All of a sudden he's on the road. Jesus appears to him. And he didn't condemn him. He didn't say all the things he's done wrong. He's just saying, Paul, why are you persecuting me? What did I do to you? And it like this, I hope this bl natural blinding, but eye-opening experience, he meets, meets Jesus. And here's the guy who later writes two-thirds of the New Testament. Who else could have been that person? See, Jesus knew this was the guy that would change the world and turn it on its head. This is the guy. And so again... Man looks at the outward appearance, appearance. God works on looks at the heart. So when we're measuring this person's failure, this person did this, God is still looking at the heart of the person, and he knows what he could do with that person. So here's just a great example. Then we could go on. Here's a guy that wrote, we're, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He's the one who talked about he wrestled with his flesh, but he discovered who Jesus was, that when I live in, my, in his name, I'm free from all of that stuff. It's been nailed. Here's the guy who said, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. In other words, he quit living for himself. What was causing all the hatred and murder is because it was going against what he believed. But now he's free in what Jesus believes, and he no longer has to defend himself. He found a place of security. He found a place that he was at rest. So if you want to beat him, throw him in prison. He doesn't care because his life is not here. His life is here to serve because he knows what he is. He, he, he has found his place in that. And I think that becomes a big picture. So when we're looking at the two sons, here's a son that squandered it. But you know what that one son who squandered it actually found? He remembered the goodness of his father. The other son who lived and worked under him, said, you have never done anything good for me. You never threw a party for my friends and the father's pleading with him. My son, I've already given you your inheritance too. All of it's yours. You could have taken a, a cow or a, a goat or done whatever and had a party anytime you wanted because it was already yours. But because that son's view of the father was not good, 
He lived under the commands. And I think this whole picture was to show the goodness of the Father because that's what causes us to change. And at the end of the day, when eternity finally hits, isn't it about the sons and daughters being reconciled into their position? But we want to look at what they're doing for the flaws here on this earth to justify who we are. And the reality is this. Not one human being is deserving of the position that Jesus gave us to gave us not one there's no one in all of their goodness that is deserving of what we've been given so the idea that we're we're looking at someone else or we're we're measuring someone else of how bad they are well I'm not really that bad I mean this is why some people go to grow up in church pray a prayer but they never really under, they've never experienced the mercy of God they've never experienced the 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 compassion of God they've never experienced the forgiveness of God because they really weren't that bad they just want to make sure they got to heaven the truth is in the measurement of of our old nature our old nature is foul and that's what they lived under and we don't we don't talk about that we talk about the actions of sin not the nature of sin itself which we were born into right that's such a really good point and it just made me think a different perspective on the parable of the talents as well, because, and there's there's a lot of different ways that people will preach that, but if you look at how it starts, there's a man, and he's wealthy, and he calls his servants, and he entrusts them with possessions. Now, think of just that. They were servants. They were slaves. They were not deserving of any gift whatsoever, and yet he gave them that gift. So they received an inheritance of sorts. Now, two of them accepted that inheritance and ran with it and walked in that new identity identity that they were given. One chose to not accept it, very similar to the two brothers in the prodigal son's story. One eventually chose to walk in it, but the, the second brother never embraced that identity. And too often we're looking at different aspects of these parables and we're kind of missing the point of them that it's trying to show us what inheritance we have been given what identity and position we have been given. And too often we've been trying to analyze the old man so much because we're afraid we're going to be coming again, you fail to realize that it's been killed, it's been dead, it's been crucified with Christ. So that's not what you can be anymore. So when we're looking at this inheritance, I mean, it's really easy to kind of put that out there in a spiritual sense. What does that actually mean for us? What does a spiritual inheritance actually do for us today here natural world uh first peter or excuse me second peter chapter one verse four three and four it says and his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue so this is amazing he's given us everything that we need to live this life as sons and daughters of the king as heirs and joint heirs of the throne by something he gave to us as we get to know him. I think that's amazing. The more I get to know my father, the more I discover what I have. The more I get to know my father, the more I understand the value of our name. The more I get to know my father, the more I desire to serve him because he's spending all this time trying to serve me. And it becomes this, who's going to outdo each other in, in loving each other? By which he has given us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So lust is, I need something, I'm going to try to get it. Someone is holding it back from me. I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it. So that's lust. Promises are, I've already been given it. 
I'm just going to receive it. I've already been given it. So I can be at rest because I know that promise will come to pass. I can be at rest because I know that promise is going to come to pass. So he gives us these great promises that causes us to escape the self-preservation fighting for something. Huh, he's already given it to me. I can be at rest. He loves me. I may not be seeing it right at this moment, but I can be assured it's coming to pass. So I'm at rest. So I think that is when it comes to inheritance, the inheritance stabilizes us that when God says, be at rest, have peace, we can because we have the inheritance and the provision. We now can flow in that. And if you think of the magnitude of that inheritance, it just kind of, it kind of blows me away. I mean, I've heard this my whole life, that the Spirit of God lives in you. If we really think of the magnitude of that, that kind of inheritance is mind-boggling, to be honest, because it it doesn't say that he gave us a watered-down version of his Spirit, or he gave us the Spirit of man, or the faith of mankind, or some lesser kind of existence. It says we are made in his image and likeness, that we are given the Spirit of God. So that means that the spirit he has, the quality of life he has, the way of thinking, the way of living, the way of looking at problems that he has now resides in you, now resides in me, and it's what is growing and leading us. I don't know that you could ask for a better inheritance than that. You know, I mean, that that kind of sets you up for success on a big scale. It does. Think about the, the, everything, the way, the, every idea that God thinks, he's, he's revealed it to us. Like, how do I do with this? He's revealing it to us. Now, there's certain things, obviously, that are, that are, that are his, and there's certain things that we won't know till later. But here's the deal. If it's not everything, it's mm-hmm. not his will for your life, it's not his purpose for your life, it's not the insight you need to function on this earth, it's not the promises. He says, I've given you my spirit Uh, in 1 Corinthians, I've given you my spirit to reveal the things that have been freely given to us. So the spirit is constantly bringing up, hey, I've already given you that. Hey, I've given you something better. Hey, I've given you something better. So let's look at the children of Israel in the promised land just real quick without going through the the whole story. They're leaving Egypt and they go into the promised land and it's only an 11 day journey. But since they were, God did not want to bring them by the way of the Philistines because when they saw war, he, he said they may turn back. I think this is interesting. God is always dealing with the decision-making of man. Everybody says he's sovereign, and he is sovereign, but he's not sovereign over your thinking. So no matter what I'm even telling you now, I can tell you there's great promises. I can tell you who you are in Christ. Your brain still is going to have to choose what you're going to believe. You're still going to have to make a decision with it. And it, the, the most freeing aspect of that decision is when I'm no longer trying to preserve myself, but I'm preserving the name and who he's called me into. I'm allowing him to flow through me. You will be able to make that change. It took me a long time to figure out what is the key thing. Now, let me just tell you, it is the easiest th- decision and the hardest one you'll ever make. Because who wants to let go? That's why he says the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. What is the suffering of this present time? Not your car blow, your car tire blowing out on the way to work. Not the fight you had with your spouse. Not your boss being mean to you. Not all these things. We make that or sickness coming your way. That's not the sufferings. Because he's given us promises for that. The suffering is our choosing to think differently. 
So the sufferings, when they came out, was the idea that I can go take the promise. So they send the spies in, and what did they say? We are grasshoppers in our own sight in numbers. We're just grasshoppers. We can't fight against mm -hmm. this. And then when Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can do this. This is awesome. Don't you get it? They're giants and how awesome that's going to be that we're going to destroy these people that look greater than us, but we have God with us. And they're like, here's, here's how they cheered them on. Grab the stones, kill them. They wanted to kill Joshua and Caleb because right. they had this report. We could do this. Isn't it amazing that when you bring a positive truth, like, <laughs> hey, do you know what God can do for you? He promised this. But because of your view and how you view yourself and it never happened for you and you prayed that once and it didn't come to pass, we want to persecute the person that's bringing hope. It just really amazes me. The man that says, hey, with God, we can go do this thing. We hate him yep. when we're yep. feeling insecure about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, oh man, that's so true. That's so true. I wanted to, I wanted to transition here. So I want to look at how we apply this, and I was I want to get your perspective on this too, because one thing that I've seen make the biggest difference in my life when we're looking at identity, inheritance, inheritance, how this actually applies to us, and we can utilize this. One of the biggest difference makers for me was when my prayer changed from "Dear God, fix this situation" to "Okay, Father, how does your Son look at this situation? How would you address this?" on the big things and the small things. Because a lot of times, at least for me, I would categorize it into little things that I have to deal with myself and figure out, and then big things that I need to bring God in on. But the little things became more and more frustrating because they weren't always going away. But I noticed that when I changed my approach to it from, okay, God, you need to fix this, thinking that you know, he's the genie up in the sky that's here to just kind of snap his fingers and fix something. When I change that to, okay, how do I, as your son, with your spirit and your and the inheritance you've given me, how do I walk through this and approach this? Then everything changed. Because now I'm not waiting for an external force to come in and magically fix something. I've actually been given the authority and the power to walk through this with my father. So what have you seen practically help people to kind of apply all this that we've been talking about? Um, one thing I'll make this point is we have raised people in Christianity. Um, we've raised orphans in Christianity by creating an orphanage, Ooh. which means the headmaster handles the big problem, but the daily stuff, there's just too many of us to deal with. So you're on your own. That's an orphanage. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that they don't love you. There's just too many of you <laughs> to really have that personal relationship with. But God never called us to an orphanage. He called us to a family. Mm -hmm. And so in family, it's a very personal. So the point that you were kind of talking about, the difference in that question, we go from asking, why is this happening to us? See, that's a victim question. Why'd you do this? I have no control. You caused this to happen. Why is it happening? It's almost more of an accusation towards what's happening to you versus what you just said. And what you're talking about of... Father, how do we handle this? Jesus, how would you deal with this? Which way should we go? Holy Spirit, uh, what am I not seeing here? It's not, that's not victim, that's, that's conquering. That's like a soldier getting landing as a paratrooper in the wrong part of the woods. And it's like, okay, pull the compass out. Where do we go from here? He doesn't care why he's there. He might be even ticked off that he got blown off course. But the bottom line is that's where he's at and he still has to get to the point where he needs to get yeah. to. He doesn't have time to be the victim. He, he needs to get there. So 
that what and where is is the biggest relational question that you can have. So I'm gonna I'll put this into uh, th- this is we've seen many stories, but I think this one really ties it up, and I think we can wrap with this idea. Um, several years ago, there was a German prisoner uh, here in uh, Chiang Mai that tried to throw a baby over a railing, and he was on, under the influence of drugs. He was angry at his wife. He was a foreigner. And it became a big issue because Thailand was under scrutiny to see how they handled issues with foreigners and trying to get into the Asian market. So there's just a lot of political things and things going on when this happened. And we happened to start working for the Department of Probation. And the director, uh, we went up there one day and he called us and he says, hey, get in the van. I'm going to take you somewhere. And he took us up to the rehab center where this guy was being held. And they said, we can't extradite him. We, we're, we need to help him. But he is so... He's a big German guy and he's so violent or threatening of violence, let's put it that way, that the the nurses are intimidated to work with him and he won't calm down and I want you to help him. And so I said, sure. And I one, one of the quick points, and it kind of ties to all this, I'm like, why are you asking me? I'm not qualified psychologist or rehab person to deal with this guy. And here's this Buddhist guy saying, because I see God in you. Wow. And I know... Moses had God with him. And when God told him to do something, he did it. God showed up. God's with you. So God will show up. This is a Buddhist guy. And I'm like, this is kind of amazing. But it all comes from this identity piece. So that's that's one aspect. That's not a brag on me, but that's the name I carry. So if I just go in the confidence and humility of his name, there people recognize it. So now back to the story is we get up there. Um, he's angry, all this stuff. And I at and we were sitting in a panel. So there's a psychologist, there was police officers, there was the director of probation, and there's this whole panel of people that were discussing the matter. And so they're asking, what do you what do you think? And I said, Can I have 15 minutes with them? So they all left, and I sat with the prisoner for 15 minutes. And I basically told them, Do you realize the whole world is stopping because God is pursuing you? So with everything you did. This whole system, I don't, I shouldn't even be here right now. I don't even know why I'm here. But God has stopped everything because he cares so much about you. Why won't you let him in? So my question to him was, why are you running from him? And he had never been a Christian. He had his whole view of Christianity growing up in Germany. The Bible's not real. It's all a fantasy, blah, blah, blah. And so he goes, well, can you bring me a Bible? So I'm condensing this story, by Mm -hmm. the way, just for, for time's sake. Went back up there. Probably, uh, we got him a Bible, went back up there um, a couple weeks later, and when I was on the way up there, I'm like, was there something wrong? Is he still misbehaving? What's, what's the issue? He goes, no, you got to see this. He became the model guy there. Like, he was the model guy. And just a side note, when he asked, where do where should I start reading the Bible? And I said, Leviticus. I'm, I'm joking <laughs> for all it's of you out spot. there. Um, I said, just read the book of John, and when you get done, just read it again, and when you get done, just read it again. Just stay in the book of John. And so I get up there. The nurses love him. He's helping the new guys coming in. He's keeping everything clean. He's volunteering for all this service. And they, the, so I sat down with the, um, the psychologist on, on site, and she goes, what did you say to him? Because he has radically changed. And I go, I didn't really say anything. And... All I did was brought in God's pursuit of him. That's all I did. God was pursuing him. What did he see? The goodness of God. 
All I brought was the goodness of God. He had to make all the decisions from there. I just brought the goodness of God. He sat down. So, so met with psychologists. Then I got to meet with him. And so I'm sitting across from him and I said, what happened? And he said, Brian, I read in John chapter one that I had the right to become a child of God. I had the right to become a son of God. Isn't that amazing? I never walked him through the plan of salvation. He believed in who Jesus was from that passage of scripture and he wanted it and his heart came to rest. I never educated him. I never trained him. I never had Bible study time with him. I never did anything. He discovered the goodness of his father. He received his position with the father and everything began to change. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not a growing in things, but he became complete. And I'm going to leave it at this in our practical application. Once you are born again, you are no longer broken and damaged and incomplete. You are perfect. You are perfect. But Brian, we still do things wrong. No, your spirit man is perfect. You're just missing something. You're missing imagery of how to do things differently. It doesn't mean you're incomplete. You just don't know how. Now that changes everything. So we're still learning. We're still growing. We're still gaining new insight, just like a child is learning new things. So God creates imagery and people around us and ideas. And he, he shows us things in our heart that we could see that we have that aha moment going, oh, that's what I need to do. And all of a sudden things change. But if we know we're missing things, not missing uh, like we're incomplete, but we're missing perceptions. Like if you've never been a good friend and you're always a jerk to people and you get saved, there might be a sensitivity in your heart not wanting to be a jerk anymore, but you'll probably still act like a jerk because you don't know how not to be a yeah. jerk. It's just how you right. do it. And then all of a sudden someone comes in and loves you and, and shows you, do you want to learn how to be a friend? Yes, please. And all of a sudden... They befriend them and model to them what it looks like to be a friend and is consistent and is faithful. And then pretty soon this kid, this guy has this aha moment. That's what a friend looks like. And then he starts acting like a friend. That's why the body all comes together rather than in judgment, but looking at what God really sees in that person and models the thing that's missing for that individual. Just the perception of what it means. The heart's ready. The spirit's ready. They're perfect inside. They just need to see what it looks like. Awesome. Well, if you guys have any questions or want to leave a comment, you can do so right on the podcast. You can uh, visit our website, outboundlife.org. You can find us on Facebook at Outbound Life. Stay tuned on the website for the calendar events coming up. Brian's going to be in the States in October, November. We have a lot of speaking engagements and things going on there. So we'll see you guys next time as we continue this journey through identity.